Welcome to the Leaders in Construction podcast with me, Stuart Wallace. This is where we tell the stories of construction industry leaders from all across the world in hope of inspiring others to show them that anything is possible. Fergus, how are you doing? Thanks for joining us. Hi, Stuart. How are you? Glad to be here. Yeah, I'm good, thank you. A little bit better after doing the uh, the old bar circuit this morning. I know you're into training yourself, right? Yeah, yeah. I love to get a morning workout in. When I are you really early morning person? Yeah, yeah. I'm uh, 5 a.m. generally up and I go, try and get to the gym. Um, then I come back when I'm at home. Then I, I'll, I'll walk my dog and then get my breakfast and, and start into work. I think that's a good start to the day. If I'm traveling, then I try and keep the same routine, get up and get to the gym and then get on to site early. Um, St- starts your day perfectly, doesn't it? Yeah, I think I think uh, like it's 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 probably the hardest thing you'll do in the in the day, you know. So you're you're focusing on the gym, I think, and then you kind of you're fully awake then, and you're you're into your day before you know it. I, I think it's a great start to the day. Yeah. No, you bang on. Um, so yeah, so look, um, let's get into it then. So kind of take me back to where where did you grow? Whereabouts are you from in Ireland? Yeah. So so I'm from um, an area in, in Ireland called Tipperary. A lot of people know it from the song. It's a long way. Um, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's I live in a rural village, um, which is just outside a town called Clonmel. So Clonmel would be would be a, fa- a fairly large town, nothing compared to UK towns like. But but for an Irish town, it's quite big and it has a lot of industry. Um, and then I, I'm from a rural area, so you would have had a lot of farming backgrounds uh, close by and things like that. So a good mix of of, of town and and country. And sort of. Um going through your you know through your school years and stuff and yeah and then obviously then you getting into construction how did you actually get into it what was yeah. was, was there was any reasons with family in it so yes yeah, so, so I, I i literally across the road from my my mother's house where i grew up there, there was a, a garden shed company and i was lucky enough to get a job there when i was 14 uh sweeping up and and doing odd jobs and then as the summers came i, I started to, to work in the shed company making sheds um so using carpentry skills um general work 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 uh, out on site putting the sheds together uh, a little bit of i suppose sketching and drawing and I, I just loved it i just really liked working with my hands i really like go finishing up at the end of the day uh seeing what you've accomplished like and seeing something new be be created so as i was going through school then i uh, i started to like technical graphics uh, and construction studies and engineering they were the subjects that I really liked in school. So I kind of felt that construction was somewhere in construction was where I wanted to be. I didn't really know what exactly, but um, I, I, through the course of my school time, I was looking enough then I got, got a job as a laborer for a, for a diesel mechanic. So, so I got to see how right. from a mechanical point of view, how trucks and tractors and things like that went together. And, and that gave me kind of another appetite, but it also kind of, showed that I, I was more interested in the construction part than the mechanical engineering part. So, so that kind of was a big help. And then I was lucky enough to, to labor for blockies and think chippies and things on sites here and there as well. So I really, I really kind of got into the construction sector um, and decided that I was going to go down the architectural technology route in, in uni. That's, so that's, that's what I did originally. And do you think, um, just to, just to stop you, do you think that because you tried different things at that early age you kind of worked out what you didn't want to do yeah so it was a good thing for you to kind of try them out so so like working from from a young age 
where there was really no no pressure on me. I was just, I suppose, making a few a few a few euro here and there to have some pocket money. And then as I as I started to like it, uh, you know, I I could see what I really enjoyed. And then it was when I went and did the the other work that I realized, you know, I I did enjoy working. I had a good work ethic, but I actually preferred the, you know, the construction part of it. And um, and then at the same time in school, I could see that. I was clever enough in school, but never really applied myself too much. But but I really loved construction studies, and I really loved technical graphics. So I found it easy to 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 put time and effort into that. So when I added both of those up together, I I thought that you know, construction was where I wanted to be. You know, so you had a good mix of office based versus site based, and um, a good mix of practical versus theory. So, so that's kind of that's what pushed me into construction. And how did you then? So what was the first proper job in say proper construction? So, so uh, all throughout university, I, I worked in a, an architect's office in the summers for work experience. Um, that was an interesting job because the the company was developing large warehouses and shopping centres across Ireland in the middle of the the Celtic Tiger, the the boom we call it. So we were we were very busy, and I, I got to learn a lot there. But um, really, the, my first job was when I left college, and when I left college, it was in the middle of the the recession. In 2009 so i had to emigrate to the netherlands so it's a funny story i actually met a guy in a pub on a saturday night i said any chance of a job he said i have it's in the netherlands if you can be there monday you have a job <laughs> and um that was actually as a, as a general operative a laborer so i started on the monday as a laborer in my snickers pants and my and my uh, work boots and uh, after about two hours they asked if i could use a computer uh, which I said I could, yeah, and I told them that I had a degree in architectural technology and I could use AutoCAD and, and BIM and things like that. So they put me into the office. Uh, they, so so they, there's an Irish company working in the Netherlands and they had set up the site. It was, a, it was a wind turbine project. So there's 140 wind turbines being built on a dry dock in the Netherlands. And uh, we had 150 Irish and English uh, sparks and mechanical fitters working away mad. But um We'd gone in and set up the site, this is before I came, and just bought loads of material from the local suppliers. And all of the invoices started coming in in Dutch. And nobody knew <laughs> what, the, what the invoices were. So um, this is before you could translate full documents in PDF to, to English. So I had to type in um, the Dutch word into Google to find out what the invoices were for and check if I had a PO. So that was my first job in construction. Very glamorous. And you've um, you've obviously gone from there now. So you was an assistant. You said you was an assistant PM. So obviously you started off as a labourer and then you kind of got into an assistant PM role. Yeah, um, so I was assistant. Sorry, I started off as a labourer and then within a week I was um, a procurement officer because they, they realised I was better in the office than out on site. I'm a bit clumsy out on site. So they, they put me into the office. And um, throughout the project, I suppose, when the engineering team was busy, I started to do the engineering drawings with them. Um, and that led then to an opportunity to go to the Middle East with the same company. Um, to work on an airport in Doha in Qatar and uh, they put me in as assistant project manager on that project so that was my first taste of management we call it um, again without the pressure of being a full project manager it was a very large project it was a 150 $50 million dollar project and um, I was only 22 at the time so I was still very young and very inexperienced but I suppose they, they put me in underneath a very good project manager and I was able to learn things from them. And I suppose I was given a responsibility that probably maybe was 
above my ability at the time, but or my experience for sure. But I learned a lot and it's great. It's a great start to my career, and I was very lucky to have it because when I came back to Ireland after that, I felt I felt that I was very well equipped. In the two years that I'd left college, I had been involved in procurement, engineering design, a project management on a jump wind turbine project and an airport project um so massive projects to be involved in and i was really lucky to get to get a kind of a, a look at all the different types of roles that are on a project obviously i think what you did there though was pretty daunting right going just yeah. going straight over after meeting somebody in a pub obviously yeah. it's funny to hear the stories back now but yeah um obviously you had to kind of fail fast really in these roles yeah. that you've never done before do you think what, i was sort of the first question would be was it daunting was it daunting for you? And and two, what did was it was it times where it was difficult where you didn't know what you were doing and how did you overcome? Oh, completely. I was completely out of my comfort zone. So I, I never forget the feeling I had going into site on that Monday morning, not knowing like what is involved in the job that I'm starting from a labourer point of view. Because throughout college I'd been studying architectural technology, so it was all about detailing and, and how buildings go together. But to go on to a wind turbine project to work for a mechanic and an electrical contractor, I, I didn't really know what that involved. Um, so so it was a big it was a big scary feeling that I had, but I just felt that I just backed myself to to be able to to overcome whatever I needed to do. So I I was never afraid to say when I didn't know something, and I think that kind of attitude of not pretending to have all the answers um, and not being afraid to ask for help. Yeah allowed me then to kind of figure out what I needed to focus on. But yeah, there was like, I remember writing contractual letters to the, to the Japanese main contractor in, in, in Qatar when I was 22 years old, explaining why we were delayed. And you know, obviously the project manager was, was looking at my letters before they were issued, but just thinking like this time, 18 months ago, like I was, I was in a college bar somewhere celebrating my, uh, <laughs> you know, the end of my exams. And now I'm here in the middle East. Um, on a $150 million project. So yeah, I definitely was out of my depth. Definitely was a big challenge, but I found that because I was, I was, I suppose, given that chance, I, I just wanted to take it. I didn't feel the pressure that I had to perform. I just felt that it was a great chance that I had and that I could just do my best and whatever happened, happened. Um, and I think that was, that served me well throughout my career. And it was, that it seems attitude. like it was, it, it was key taking yourself completely out of your comfort zone. Um, sink or sink or swim type of situations, yeah. really, and then coming yeah. back, and it seems like you was well equipped once you once you came yeah. back. Then is that when you started with Ardmat? Then yeah, so so I came back. Um, I came back and in two thousand eleven, and the, it was the first the first job advert for an architectural technologist that, that I've ever seen since I left college. That's how bad the construction industry was in Ireland in terms of getting jobs. It was the first one I seen, um, and I went up and inter got an interview with Ardmac and and they gave me the job and. I haven't looked back since, yeah. And I, I, I felt that that the couple of years I had experience at that stage was was key because I was able to, um, demonstrate that I worked on large projects as part of a large team and that I was able to work in different departments, even though I had a you know, a specialism in in architecture, but that I wasn't afraid to work in different uh, departments. And I think that really was attractive for Ardmac. And since then, really, I've just I've grown with the company. This is my twelfth year. With Ardmac now, and I haven't looked back since then. Yeah. And obviously, in a um, in a market now where 
it's really flamboyant, right, with jobs. These these jobs yeah. coming left, right, and center everywhere. It's so busy. So we're kind of spoiled, right? Um, um these positives to people getting um getting new employment in other areas, yeah. it's probably better than yeah. their current one. But also to counterbalance that, um most of the people you see that have kind of climbed the ladder seem to have weathered the storm and stayed through parts where it's excuse me, French, it's yeah. a bit shit. Yeah. Um, has there been times at Ardmac where things are just surely they've not gone completely smooth for that full 12 years? Oh, look, there's always been uh, busy times and challenging times, but um, there's never been a time where I've, I've felt, oh my, uh, this isn't working for me or it's not worth, worth staying. There's, there's always been busy times, and throughout the 12 years I've been here, we've, we've been very busy and we've grown as a company, and I've been able to grow with that, and I suppose. As I started as an architectural technologist, I was then able to become a senior and then develop a team below me and then actually develop a department and then move from that into project management and then move on into associate director. So so throughout the cup the, the twelve years I've been there, I've been in multiple different roles. And every time you move into a new role, there's always that initial period where like, oh, you're out of your comfort zone again. Uh you're like, was I better off where I was? But I never I never felt the time I never felt at any time where I, I, I wanted to say it's not worth it or I, I didn't see um, the benefit of, of, of the challenge that I had ahead of me. I always felt that, you know, Armac gave me the right support that I needed to, to grow as a person. And then if I felt I could add more to the company and, and I brought that to somebody, I always felt I was listening to. So I never did get that shit feeling, as you say, where I was like, you know, this isn't worth it. Um, maybe I'm lucky, but that's just that's that's the way I feel yeah do, do you think a lot of it relates back to throwing yourself in the deep end first of all kind of coming out the other side and you just I, I know from um sort of my own personal situations when you do that and it's kind of addictive you go into it and you go wow I come out the other side and then you do it again yeah. and you come out the other side and then you almost feel like you can do anything within yeah. the industry and you don't feel scared to take on a new challenge and is that the way that you would say that your experience has been with Ardmac? And I think, I think in general, just just as I, I, I coach a lot of people, or I'm lucky enough to work with with a lot of people, and the people that that take everything personally and and get stressed and get worried about uh, either their performance or the outcome of something, um, I, I always try and tell them that look, you need to back yourself. Like, and if you put in the best effort that you can, you you can only do what you can do. So if someone's asking you to do a thousand things, you can only do. 50 things so there's no point in getting worked up about it like if you can communicate properly what you can achieve and give it your best shot and people can see that well then don't you're not going to be the one that's going to be blamed at the end of it and if you apply that logic throughout anything you do well then the outlook about what you can actually achieve i feel is 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 different because instead of you worrying about you making a mistake or failing you're focused on doing the best that you can and if you're doing the best you can, yeah, and people see that effort that you're putting into whatever you're doing, <clears throat> well then, you know, you're going to get more opportunities. That, that's what I feel because if you're always focused on what can go wrong or, or the mistakes you can make, you're, you're not going to maximize your performance. So, so that's my yeah. attitude. It's the same as you're probably the same when you train as well. Like you, know, you can only do what you can do. You just try and get a bit better every day. Not be try to not not be afraid to try new things. It's, it's the same in work as it is in in, in fitness. I think. Yeah, control the controllables, right? Or what you so just in construction, there's so many things that can go wrong or change that you that are far outside your control that 
you can spend all your time just worrying about that. Obviously, you need to consider risks and, and manage risks, but I'm, I'm talking more about performance than you know, big, big, big risks, I suppose. I completely agree with you. And I think I've been through parts of my career, right, where I haven't been so balanced. And I think sometimes you can easily get, there's certain times where you have to rein yourself back in, right? Nobody's perfect. There's certain times where you, you can feel yourself getting a little bit stressed. But just on that note then, how do you personally keep yourself in this balanced approach where you stay in a calm, um, you have that calm approach to, um, to you know, your, your sort of method of working? Because yeah. it's so easy in a senior position for things to kind of, like you just said, to blow your lid at, like when things go wrong, because not every job goes correctly. Certain things that just come out of the blue that are something that you cannot control. Projects can just be, put on hold or the client can just take it away from you and you and you've so how yeah. do you how who, how do you sort of stay calm and do you have anything that do you do anything specifically to to help that or is that just um, you as a person i, I find I, I look i i do so i do a lot of travel with work so I, I i'm kind of at the moment i'm traveling say tuesday to thursday so when when i'm up up early on a tuesday morning and back late on thursday night i feel like i I work work a lot, and I, and I try and get you know, as much work done there as I can. And then when I'm back home on Monday and a Friday, I, I just do a normal day's work, and I try and you know, spend time with my wife, spend time with friends and family, spend time you know, training, so that I try and balance my life that I'm not just focused on work all the time. And I think that then refreshes you each week. So each week is a kind of a hard stop, and you can start again. So, so that's one thing that I would really emphasize that I do. That I do try and you know, have a life outside of work and I think then that allows you to be a better person in work because um you come back refreshed and you're not letting things get on top of you but I also I think I just have a positive outlook that look you, you can only do what you can do you can't control if a company that you're working for goes bust for example you can't control if you know, a company you're working for is delaying you or whatever it is but, but you can control how you, re you react and I, I try and help with the teams I work on, that, that we have that kind of positive approach and focus on what you can control and focus on... When, when you really look at things and you hold yourself to account, I suppose, the, there might be things you can't directly control, but by acting in a certain way, you can influence things. So if you really look at it, um, you, can really, you can really influence a lot of things um, that you, you mightn't think that you can at first glance. Or it might be easier to say, that's somebody else's fault, or that's not my problem. But if you really, if you're really honest with yourself, and the team is really honest with themselves, there's so much that you can achieve with a team if, if you really put yourself to it. So that's how I like to approach approach things. No, it makes a lot of sense. Um, looking at your career, then obviously everything it seems like it's got an upwards trajectory since obviously you you left Seep and went to went to Ardmark. Yeah. But what would you say is say like your biggest say? I don't like to word use. Uh, sorry to use the word failure, but what would you think the biggest failure has been, and how have you actually come back from that, or maybe something that might have been out of your control, and how have you actually, you know, yeah. overcome that situation? So, so when I look back, I, I, I don't see many big failures, but I've made loads of mistakes for sure. And um, like, look, mistakes happen, and I, I wouldn't really class them as failures. I, I try not to dwell on them too much, but I remember like. When I when I first started at Ardmac, I think I ordered uh, like 50, 50 grand worth of material incorrectly. So like there was just a fifty grand hit uh, to the company based on a mistake I made directly. And at the time when you're younger, 
that's huge like you know and you feel like like you feel like like this big you know and you, you yeah. think that you never you'll never get back from this so it's <clears throat> and as obviously as you, you you get more experience you realize that, you know, it's not the end of the world and you'd like to think that you've made more than 50 grand back over the years to, to make it worthwhile but um i suppose really the, the main thing there was that i learned from that and i learned about you know, checking your information not relying on somebody else to check your information obviously a double check is great but you need to own your own info and own your own data we'll say that so that was the biggest le- lesson i took from that particular thing but it's still i still use it as an example today to other people or newer people as to why they should check their work or double check or just not just assume something is correct and you can apply that to lots of different scenarios and i'm sure i've done plenty of other things like that throughout my career that has allowed me to just get that little bit better and, and get that little bit more experience um but the biggest lesson i've learned i would say is that looking back at it the the, the, the majority of what i've achieved in my career has been done as part of a team like it hasn't been fergus on a solo run you know yes i've been part of great teams and i've been lucky to get into different positions and stuff but like when you, when you look back at the, the big standout moments you know, over the duration of the 12 years at arma none of those are me standing in a room on my own you know but uh it, it's you know what you've achieved as part of a team and, and that's what i would say is my biggest learning rather than the biggest failure and have you, has your team stayed pretty much the same over the course of them years? Do you think that's no? So, has, so like, has it changed? So when I when I was the the architectural man, manager, I had I was dealing with mostly architectural technologists, um, and then as I moved into project management, then you would you would deal with different teams. I've I've been lucky enough to work in different divisions within Ardmax. So I've just moved from the data center division back to the clean room division. I, I'm working on Belgium at the moment. Um, and I'm looking at the, the battery division as well, which is a new, a new division that we formed in the last two years. So you're working with different people. Um, you, you do, you, you will get consistent blocks with the same team. Yes. And my manager, uh, Jason Casey, who's our, who's our MD for operations. He's been my manager for, for quite some time now. So, um, there's a good consistency there. And, my first project with Armac 12 years ago, he was the, the site manager and I was the junior architectural technologist, you know, and we've, we've kind of come up through the ranks together. He's obviously up at an MD level now. I'm at an associate director level. So there is, within Armac, there's a lot of people that have been with the company for over 10 years. And so you do come across people from time to time and you do, you've worked with people for, for a good number of years. There is that kind of um, small company feeling, even though we've grown quite large which is good. Um, so, so it doesn't feel like a huge organization that you, know, you don't know who anyone is. Generally, people know who, who, who everybody is, um, which is good. Perfect. And kind of leads me on to the next question, really. Um, obviously, you just spoke about Jason, um, and no doubt he probably has been, but who would you say is maybe, the, I suppose, the most influential people uh, in your career today, yeah. if there is if there is anybody to name? It's a good question, yeah. Um, That's why I do it. <laughs> yeah so so i'd say in, in no particular order like I, i'd say like my, my mother would, would would be a massive influence on me and uh when i she, she would have been up up at 5 a.m down working at the, the local shop before i got up for school every morning so i could see that that work ethic in my mother that that she definitely transferred across to me which, which was great and she, me and her used to argue quite a bit when i was in school about me not not applying myself properly and things like that and me, me just wanting to get out of school as quick as I could, but uh, she she stayed with me and you know, she she encouraged me. I suppose she's seen something in me that 
I hadn't seen in myself at the time, you know, and that if I just knuckled down a bit, that I could, I could, I could achieve good, good things, you know. So she was a good, positive influence on my life. Um, my my wife has been great. Um, my wife never lets me let, lets me get carried away with myself, you know. If I, if I, <laughs> yeah. If I get a I new presentation or or get a, win a new project, she brings me back down to earth. She keeps me grounded anyway. She doesn't let me get um too big headed. So for sure, she has a, a very positive influence on me too. And then in work. In work, I've been lucky to work with um, look, most of the senior leaders in Armac from the CEO to COO, um, and I've learned loads from them in different ways throughout my career. Um, but Jason would have been the, the manager I've worked with the most, you know, and, and he definitely supports me throughout my career. Um, I really, I like, I would listen to Jason for career advice, and he would he would give me up um, feedback on how how to improve throughout the you know, the course of the year and. Uh, that that's been very valuable for me, you know, um, and it's great to be able to see someone that has progressed up through the different roles himself, and so he knows what it's like coming up, John. You know, when when you're, I suppose, a young person trying to trying to progress your career and where to go to next and things like that. So it's good to have someone to look at that that, that has done it and you know, can lead the way there. And um, you mentioned a couple of things about influential people um, and people in your personal life. What? Mm-hmm. no doubt that they'll be involved but what drives you towards going to work every day what actually motivates you do you have any goals is there anything that sticks out that why you get up in the morning so it's funny actually you asked that question we, we did something like this um in a course last year and um the result i had was i was, I was kind of inwardly motivated i didn't need external people to motivate me i, I was able to motivate myself um but, but I always found that that I, I I've never really tailored my performance to reach a, uh, a specific role. I, I was always more interested in, the, for example, getting the project to the best place it could be or getting the department to the best place it could be in any way that I could. And I find that I, I get great reward from seeing other people succeed that I've helped succeed. I get actually more more joy out of that than I do out of, say, somebody recognizing my performance. So I, I put, put a lot of effort into the teams I work with as much as I can. That you know, seeing them achieve things is, is fantastic for me. I, I coach a lot of the younger the younger graduates at Armac um, and and some people on my team, and I, and I really like seeing them start to see what I can see in them. You know, so they start to believe in themselves and that they can achieve things in their career. Um, so that I get great motivation for that. But in terms of just providing the best the best life you can for your family, would be would be a great motivation. And then, I suppose the clients that we work with, they're, they're large multinational companies. A lot of them are in the life science industry, and you can see that they're providing life-saving drugs or whatever they're providing for their clients. And you, you can be a part of that, you know, or you can be a part of the data center that's powering the internet in, in some some shape or form. So there's there are big projects that kind of have a they have a kind of a draw to them that make you want to be involved in them, and it makes you want to kind of do the best you can makes sense and you've um you've obviously mentioned coaching quite a few times and obviously we've spoke about it off air as well um it is something that you're really passionate about um and um you obviously just a couple of things you mentioned um which is quite clear really you said that your mum seemed to identify something in you which you didn't see and now you like doing exactly yeah. the same thing is maybe yeah. identifying. So you're following the same footsteps, really. Do you think that's kind of why that you you know you you enjoy the coaching side of things? Um, 
yeah it's 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 funny because because um like I, I remember when I, when I went down to my graduation in in, in college my, my mom expected to to see the that I was out partying all the time um and <laughs> you know doing the bare minimum to get by but when she went down a lot of my classmates had come up saying you know, your, your son really helped me through the course and gave me, gave me some time showed me things did that and I found that I actually learned things better myself by helping other people if, if that yeah. makes sense so it 100%. made more sense to me when I was coaching and then I don't know if it's a, if it's a natural thing or, or if it's a thing I've worked over the years but because I've always been showing other people how to do something even if I hadn't fully understood it myself it, it just kind of naturally it naturally progresses but then but certainly the the quality of people that we're getting from from university now graduates and people like that they want to learn and it's easy to to coach them because they're like sponges like you know their their, their attitude is great and you know, you, you, could, you you don't mind putting the time into that because you can see the benefit on, on the other side when, when they do get the things so definitely I think there's a bit of maybe from my own personal life bringing that in in terms of the people that I've been involved with but there's also quite good coaches within Ardmac that, that I've probably learned from as well. And just talking about, say, um, some of the younger listeners that are kind of, I suppose, looking to climb the ladder now or even just getting into construction, yeah. what would you say the sort of the three biggest strengths that you would say you would need um, to succeed? And I suppose everybody's got a place in where they want to go, but just to do well in construction, right? Or if they yeah. want to climb the ladder. Yeah. So the first thing I would say is just, just if you have a willingness to learn and a positive attitude, that like that's a great start. You know, that like you don't need to be a superstar when you start on day one just be open to open to learning and have a positive attitude the second thing then is that um i would suggest that patience so you might think you're going to come in and you're going to be the ceo in in, in two or three years like, you know, it doesn't work like that i would suggest that focus on what you can do to get better not where you're going to end up and then as you do that and you start to be consistent the rest will come over time like you, you can't run before you can walk so just just come in focus learn as much as you can the, the beauty about construction is that apart from your own team that you work with on your pod on a project you're, you're dealing with so many other companies on the same project that you have such an exposure to different people and different learning styles and leadership styles some are you know very old school loud people others are very new age calm collected and everything in between we're lucky enough to work across Europe, so we get to work with loads of different cultures as well. So it, it's great to see you know, different people interacting with each other and how they interact and how they don't interact. And like that's all a, a, an opportunity to learn. And if you have an open mind and you're willing to learn, there's, there, there's no limit to what you can, can learn on a project, you know? And I think if you just take that same learning throughout your career, obviously just technical skills you need, just communication skills, just soft skills, that can all be, you know, can come to you over time with experience but if you're not open to learning or if you think you know it all on day one well then you know, it's going to be very hard for you to take that in wise advice so let's talk about um what the future looks like what yeah. does the what does the next five years kind of look like for you as an individual and i suppose what does it look like for the company from, yeah. from your eyes so well f from from a company point of view um we're very busy. We're, we're still growing quite strongly and um, we see a lot of opportunities in, I suppose in Europe, we're working a lot in the data center and the um, pharmaceutical industry. 
and, and that's that's very positive there. We're also starting to secure some battery manufacturing facilities in the UK and in Europe, um, and there seems to be fantastic opportunity in, in in those types of projects where car manufacturers are looking at the future and the the phasing out of the combustible combustible engine. And there certainly is an opportunity there for, I suppose companies that have, I suppose, the scale that we can achieve, but also the clean room experience coupled with the data center experience. It's, it's, a, it's a nice mix that we have and it kind of puts us in a good position there. Now there is there's still strong competition between uh, Chinese battery manufacturing and US manufacturing and Europe. So it's not a, it's not just a, a straight line up, but, but there definitely is quite an opportunity there. So we see a strong, strong business, a strong market out there, um, even with the volatility and the uncertainty. The, we also see a lot more of offsite construction. So recently now we're, we, we've sent some, uh, we've, we've, we've built a clean room in, in our facility in Carlo, stripped it down into, into pods and sent it out to our client in Africa, where it's going to be reassembled and commissioned. So there's a, there's a fantastic business case there for doing more pre-assembled things offsite, sending them, them together and assembling them on site. So that would have taken like a, so an eight to ten week, sorry, an eight to ten month program on site down to an eight week program on site. Crazy, crazy, crazy yeah. And, it, yeah. and is that is that uh, big on the cost saving side of things for the business as well? And obviously um, for the so, end, so end it's, client, it, it, can save cost, it can save cost, but it can it, it just increases certainty in terms of. So you can imagine if if you're trying to move into a new region like Africa, maybe where you mightn't have the the underground presence, and there might there may be some other other issues there. Um, if you can build stuff in a controlled environment, your quality is better, your safety is better, your your your, your schedule is better because you under because everything is in a controlled area, controlled to controllables, and then you send it over there when you know it's working already, and then reassemble it. So so there is quite a few benefits there. Um, there's a speed to market where the the customer can build their shell building, so the building that's going to house the the pods, yeah, on site while you're building the internal part offsite. And so it's like a parallel construction. So when you land the pods into a building, you have the inside built at the same time, rather than waiting for the shed to be built, we'll call it. And then starting your clean room fit out, which is quite time consuming. So whether whether it's schools or prisons or hospitals or, or clean rooms, the amount of offsite construction uh, is going to increase over the, over the coming years for sure, yeah, yeah. Nice. And, and and then from a personal point of view, I suppose I'm not putting any any I suppose timelines on things, but I'm I'm lucky enough to to be given an, an associate directorship last last year, so I'm working my way into that role. I I can see that there's great opportunity within Ardmath to, to grow for sure, and I'm excited to see that what the next five years hold. Perfect. And obviously, you spoke briefly about the industry itself. What what are the biggest challenges do you think are in the industry right now? Or what do you think the biggest challenges are going to be moving forward as well? I suppose. Well, I, well, I think anecdotally, like it does, it, it's very hard to get labour. So, so I don't know what it's like in the UK, but but I can see that it is difficult. That in Ireland, the amount of tradespeople is, is kind of declining. It's it's not as attractive anymore as it used to be for young people to join and get a trade. A lot of people are going straight to university or college, and if they, they feel a degree is the best way, but they, like. The practical trades, I, I think, are a fantastic opportunity for young people that maybe, you know, maybe feel like working with their hands is better. Like, and and I think there's going to be a, a big shortage of those skills. There already is, um, 
and when you when you roll that out across Europe, you can see that there you know, there is there is a shortage of labour. Um, there's also probably more volatility. So so like you, we just got over COVID, and then and then obviously the war in Ukraine happened. So the the, the prices have of everything have kind of gone up and down and up and down, and there's this kind of uncertainty. And um, clients are trying to you know, put that risk onto contractors because because I suppose they they're not comfortable managing it themselves. And and then you have contractors who who probably aren't comfortable either. And there's probably a a new way of working there where there's a shared risk. On, on those massive fluctuations, you know, within reason. And that kind of people are kind of still teasing through the best way to do that. Um, and then we can, I don't know, it seems that the tender periods are getting shorter, the, the jobs are getting bigger and the schedules are, get, are, are, are getting shorter as well. So it, it just seems that everything needs to be now, now, now. Uh, and there's a big rush on everything. Why is this? Why is why is this? Because, you know, on the previous podcast I was speaking to, it's been a very similar topic, right? That weirdly, the world in one part is saying slow down, right? Yeah. They're saying yeah. slow down, have a work-life balance, work Monday to yeah. Thursday. And then in construction, they're going, let's speed everything up. Let's do day yeah. and night. Let's do that. Yeah. So how does that help construction anyway? Um, or the people in construction, um, I suppose, live the way that the world is trying to go because it just seems a bit backwards it, it is backwards because like you can see that i've I spent a couple a uh, year up in denmark uh not earlier earlier in 2022 and um the nordics have, have a great way a great work-life balance but then you walk onto the construction site and there's a lot of irish and uk contractors that are working like expats 60 hour weeks and um it's very hard to see the construction industry at the moment go to a four day week, for example, unless we introduce a kind of a shift pattern where you have some people covering half the week and other people covering the other half of the week. But um, at the moment, I just think that there's certain critical infrastructure that needs to be built that will always be on you know, rush, rush, rush. Will There'll never be enough of it. And I think that's probably the construction, the nature of construction is that the jobs that we're involved in are all business critical to the clients that we work for and, and they just need to be built as quick as they can be and that's just the way the nature of the beast whereas if you work in finance or, or whatever it is you have a kind of a more consistent work work loading throughout the year and it's just kind of business as usual you know and it's easier to plan out your resources and do your four-day week or whatever the case may be yeah, especially like especially that, when yeah. you're in technology. Yeah, especially you're in like the technology space. You're in the car, like uh, manufacturer, uh, car battery manufacturer, like the yeah. bigger factories, yeah. and obviously pharma. Yeah. This also has a lot to do with product to market, right? So it's yeah. all product to market. You're building the facility to get the product to market. So yeah. there's a lot more involved with this. That's you yeah. know, I suppose yeah. behind the scenes. So yeah, makes sense. It's interesting. So I was over in America last year and visiting visiting a company that we partner with and. They, they have a lot of um, posted workers who maybe say, for example, they're from Florida and they're working on a job in Ohio. And what they'll do is they'll do a, a four-day week instead of a five-day week and spend three days at home and come back and do a four-day week. And they just work maybe, say, 12-hour days during the four days. And, and they find that they're getting better productivity, better work-life balance because the guys are working more in the four days than they would in the five days but they're also coming back more rested and they're getting more time with their family. It's, um, it's always it's always a difficult question, though. It's a difficult topic to discuss is rotations, 
guys yeah. traveling overseas. Obviously, as you know, um, yeah. I own a recruitment company and uh, predominantly the, the typical rotation that we send people out into Europe is a 17 and four, right? Yeah. But when I ran a poll on uh, my social media, it was the worst one that nobody wanted to do, right? Um, but yet the majority are doing that. And and also businesses, from speaking to business owners, they struggle to do anything else. Some do 10 and four, some do three and one. Um, but they struggle. The, the 17 and four is what their client would like to see to get yeah, to get yeah. thing, to get to get things done so yeah i don't see how that ever improves i mean the oil and gas industry they do they do the back-to-backs don't they they have like the back-to-back side <coughs> of things where they yeah. two on two two on two off um do you think it would ever go in that way or is it just i've been told that it'll it'll always be how it is yeah i don't know so so i think um it's a difficult one because so so if it depends on where you are compared to where you're traveling maybe because if you can kind of travel over on a day and and you know get get the site early it's it's one thing but if you're traveling for a full day to get to the north of sweden or or whatever the case may be you're, you're losing a day either side of your rotation as well and if you're doing that every two weeks well then you're really probably getting eight working days two travel days and a couple of days at home and and you um whereas if you go to like five weeks on one week off or six weeks on one week off that's a long time to be away from your family as well you know and yeah um maybe we'll get to a hybrid where you might have people that are happier for the longer rotations maybe the younger people without families that are happy enough and then you might get the shorter rotations for the, the people with families or the people that need to be home more often um, and maybe there'll be a hybrid approach which is difficult when you have you know, big teams because you want to be consistent you don't you don't want to have one room yeah. For someone or one rule for someone else so maybe there's a way you can you can select your rotation based on your your family needs and i don't think anybody has the magic formula you just you just have to see how it works on each project because you know it is very difficult being away from your family obviously there's the benefits is the you know, more money you have your you know, all the benefits of being away and um, so, so people have to weigh up that option to see you know, if, if, it's, if it's worth it for them but it is a challenge for sure yeah yeah, makes sense. Um, so look, let's finish off on. I think it's been a really good podcast. Let's finish off on some, um, you know, some easy questions just to kind Sorry. of uh, get 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 a, get a, get a feel from uh, from you as an individual, right? Um, so, what's your um, what's your favorite film all time? So I, I would say actually, ba- Batman: The Dark Knight was was one of my favorite films. I just think that right, he he Ledger as a Joker was 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 amazing. Yeah, yeah. I, I actually. I look. I, I like the Marvel films as well. I, I followed them all. To be honest, um, I really enjoyed those too. And yes, the Lord of the Rings was quite good too. But yeah, Batman. So there you go. Hedge my bet. <laughs> What's your favourite sport? You we spoke off air about this, but yeah, it, it's hurling. Hur, um, hurling is my favourite sport, which is an Irish uh, sport played with a stick and a ball. And um, so, uh, like like kind of hockey, but but with, with the ball in your hand, and it's quite a fast game. But yeah, no, it's it's very popular in this side of the country, particularly. Yeah. Um, it is quite good if anyone gets a chance to, to look it up on on YouTube. There, you'll see some some interesting uh, videos. I think. Yeah, I think I'll have my Limerick jersey on this year. <laughs> they, they'd be our rivals now. They um they, they have been the best team over the last number of years, and they actually just beat us in the in the leagues in the league semi final last week. I'm from Tipperary. So we haven't been the best over the last number of years, but we um, we're starting to build maybe towards something. But Limerick are awesome, yeah. 
Um, what's your uh, favorite favorite music genre and artist? Uh, I, I listen to, to loads of different really. So so if I'm training, it, it's kind of dance music. Um, I would have grown up listening to dance music, but uh, generally, if I'm, I'm driving in the car or whatever, it would be it'd be like the, someone like the Script would be my favorite band. I would say, um, and and anything in between really. I, I'm I'm fairly easy for for listening. If you could have a coffee with any historical figure, who would it be? Hmm. I, I have to say, Gandhi really interests me. The his attitude to life and 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 he, I suppose, the suffering that he went through for his people and came out the other side and still just wanted peace. Like the 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 character that that the strength of character that that man had was phenomenal. I just, I just love to see what drove him, you know, to do what he did. Definitely. Yeah. What's your uh, What's your favorite meal? Favorite meal, uh, Mexican Mexican food. Love, love love Mexican food. Yeah, yeah. You been to Mexico? Never been to Mexico. No, no. It's it's on the list. It's on the list. But um, def- I definitely like their food anyway. <laughs> <laughs> what's your uh, What's your worst sport? Sport that you'll never play? I, I I've never gotten cricket to be honest. I, I, uh, <laughs> this has come up. This is this is the fourth time I think it's come up on this uh, on the, the podcast. It's... It look, I'm sure it's a great game when you when you play it, you know. And I'm not saying it's a, t- a bad game. I just I just haven't really got into it before. So um, yeah, I, I I don't think I'll be playing it anytime soon. Anyway, it's um. I'll be honest with you. I just bought into the. It's, it's obviously questions. I I used to play uh, football decent level, and then um. I said I wanted to play. I started playing it at school, and my old man used to watch me playing football all the time. Dead excited, he used to take me everywhere. I said, "Dad, I'm going to play cricket," and he's like, oh, "Right, okay." So he sat there for two hours waiting for me to. Cut. I was like, 12th or thirteenth batsman or whatever it is, right? <laughs> he waited all that time, and I got hit. I uh, got caught out with the first ball, and that was it. Oh, that was Jesus, done. And he yeah. said, "He said, he said, you're never going back again." So uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there you go. Um, what's a TV show that you dislike the most? That when someone has it on in your house and you're like, I'm just not oh, watching that. That's love, love Island. My missus loves it. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. I can't, can't warm to it at all, to be honest. No, not there's, for me. There's a certain the pattern here. shows in general are just not, not for me. What's the, um, what's the most embarrassing thing that's ever happened to you? Oh, oh, look, I, I'm, I'm very clumsy. Like I'm very, very clumsy. So I have a lot on my list, but I actually, Oh, I, I actually got hit by a car outside my house uh, when I was younger, not and and not not too young. I was a teenager, so that was fairly embarrassing. Just literally right outside my house, you know. And uh, <laughs> there's probably a list of I could go on here, but we're going to run out of time, so I'm just going to leave it at that. Yeah, it wasn't parked, was it? No, no. no. <laughs> um, if if you could, um, the last question. If you could nominate anybody, you don't have to know this person, um, yeah. to come onto the podcast next that you think yeah. I'd love to hear their story. I can't get Gandhi on, unfortunately, but anybody yeah, yeah, else, yeah. Um, yeah. who who would you recommend? Yeah, so I, I did think about this question, and, and I, look, there's loads of people within Armagh that, that you could talk to that would be great, but I thought you might want to maybe get a, a someone from another company on to just yeah. kind of keep it balanced. So there's, there's um. When I worked on the, on the job in Denmark, the, the the construction manager was a man called Mark Morley. I, I, yeah. I text you his name there. Um, I know. I was speaking and, to him today, actually. I was speaking to him this yeah. morning, weirdly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, 
I, I just found his style of leadership very, very, very interesting and very good. And I, and I got on very well with him and um, I enjoyed working with him. And I, I think that he has probably a very interesting story to tell. So I, I'd, um, I, I'm, I'm sure he'd love to come on the pod, to be honest. Perfect. Perfect. Well, look, um, Fergus, you've been great. Uh, really appreciate your time. Enjoy your um, your stag do this weekend. Yeah. yeah I know yeah. it's not your, just to confirm, it's not your stag do. It's somebody else's stag do. No, 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 no. That's already been and gone, right? Um, but, uh, but yeah, enjoy yourself and um, take care. Thanks again, mate. Stuart, thanks a million. It's been great. Yeah. Speak to you later. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Leaders in Construction podcast with me, Stuart Wallace. I hope this episode has inspired you in more ways than one. Until next time.